following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good evening, Austin. (laughs) And good evening, Christian Life Austin. I am Pastor Rex, and uh, you that go to this church know who I am. I didn't come in a disguise tonight. I am who I am. I'm like Papa. I am what I am, and I yak it. <laughs> what a joy to see you tonight, even in my mind and my heart, as we visit into your home and walk into your habitat to talk with you. You know, this shelter-in-place thing is uh, happening, and uh, it happened yesterday. And uh, so I'm sure most of you were locked down today. Uh, I don't want to call it martial law. We'll just call it the sheriff's law, not martial law. We'll call it the sheriff's law. Uh, I was reading something funny the other day I thought I'd share with you. Uh, Somebody said that grandkids would ask their grandparents, Granddad, what did you do in the 2020 coronavirus situation? And the answer was, Son... I was a tail gunner on an 18-wheeler that carried Charmin toilet paper products. I thought that was funny. Now, you don't have to laugh, but when you get alone and you are away from everybody, that'll, that'll get, get you. That'll get you. To all of our sweet septuagenarians and all of our octogenarians and all the people that uh, we're kind of concerned about, of course, we're concerned about everybody, but those especially that are older, not people like me, but older. I want you to know that we care about you, we're concerned about you, and we have got something put together that you're going to love. We're going to be reaching out to you in the next few days because we want to check on you and make sure you're all right. As far as I know, we have not had any coronavirus in our church, and that is a good, good thing. That's an awesome thing. And... uh, We've been checking, and the hospitals are void of our people. Yes, we've had folks go to the hospital, but as far as we know, there has been no positive testing for that virus. To God be the glory. Amen. So we welcome you tonight here to the church, and uh, we're in your home. We're happy to be in your home. It's an honor to be in your home. And uh, I'm kind of getting used to this, you know. This is how I started. Now, let let me share it with you. I do have a few people in the house with me tonight, and they seem to be kind of, sort of, almost alive. And that's a good thing. They're all sitting on the first, second, or third row. But over here to my left is three, is five cardboard cutouts. One me in college, and one me when I got married, and one me when I was pastoring in Dallas, and one of me at my daughter Misty's wedding, and one lately with me hugging a bunch of bluebells. And it's cardboard cutouts. And so they were turned the opposite direction, but I turned them this way because I wanted somebody that looked like me to say amen. So those cardboard cutouts, I'm going to look over at them every now and then and see if they're helping me. I'm just messing with you folks. I want to preach something tonight that I think is important to where we are in our life. And uh, I trust that this will be a blessing to your life and a blessing to your future I want to talk to you tonight about the Jesus principle, the Jesus principle. And uh, I want to speak from the book of John chapter 4 and verse 4, just one small reading, and he must needs go through 
Samaria. He must needs go through Samaria. You know, Jesus' ministry had a very unique start. There were three things that cranked his ministry up. Number one was in John chapter 2. It was his first miracle. On the third day of the week, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And Jesus and his disciples were invited. When, when he got there, they found out that there was a dilemma at the wedding. They had run out of wine. And so Mary, his mother, the matriarch of his life, the one that could say, son, get your act in order. Come on, snap too. Even though she knew who he was, she came to him and said, they don't have any wine. He looks at her and he said, woman, <laughs> he didn't call her Mary, he said, woman, listen to me. What have I to do with you? My hour is not yet. And she just ignored him. She said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And so he's trapped. He has to perform a miracle because mama is saying he's going to perform a miracle. He's not who I think he is. And so he turns water into wine. They draw it out. They realize that they had saved the best wine till then, till now. And Jesus' ministry was kick-started by a mother who kick-started him. And then the next time we see Jesus is in John 3. It's there that he meets a, a, a ruler of the synagogue, a man named Nicodemus. And he was pulled into an alley perhaps or in a place where Nicodemus could talk to him came to him by night and he said, Lord, I, you're, surely you're a teacher come from God because no man can teach and talk like you can. And Jesus looked at him and said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, well, what do you mean by that? Do I need to go back into my mother's womb and be born the second time? And Jesus said, no, no, he that is, it, that, he that is born of the water and of the spirit cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus said, I don't understand that. What are you talking about? And Jesus said, okay, listen to me. What is born of flesh is flesh. And what's born of spirit is spirit. So Jesus preached his first message to a man that pulled that message out of him. You can't see the kingdom. You can't get into the kingdom unless you're born again. But then in John 4, Jesus makes a statement and he says to those around him, I need to go to Samaria. I need to go. It was his desire. It was his want. It was his need. It was not promoted by his mother. It was not pulled out of him by a man who was a ruler. But it was him saying, I need to go through Samaria. And there's a lot of people that would say, why, why that? Why Samaria? Well, Samaritan, Samaritans were half Hebrew and half Gentile. And they had situations in their mind that they could not be fooled by either side. See, they had just enough Jew in them, just enough Hebrew in them that they, they understood the game. And they had just enough Gentile in them that they wouldn't be trapped by the game. And so Jesus went to them First, he said, this is what I want to go. And when he gets to Samaria, he goes to a well outside of Sychar, which was a city there. And he sat on that well and he just waited. And he sent 12 disciples <laughs> to get lunch for 13 because he knew something was about to happen that they weren't ready for because they were not prepared for what he was in a need for in his life. Stay with me. It was the sixth hour. That means it was probably high noon. 
Now, if you know anything about high noon, you understand that the sun's directly overhead at the noonday hour. And so there was no shadows that was going to be cast. There was no one in the shade of judgment. There was no bias. There was no prejudice. There was no dogma. It was just a Savior sitting on a well and waiting for someone to come and receive him. And the well was claimed by everyone in the area because Jacob had dug the well and everyone claimed it. All walks of life, all kinds of people, the Jews claimed it, the Samaritans claimed it. And Jesus could have met anyone, yet he met a woman who came to the well at high noon. Now hear me. You'll read in the Bible that maids came to the well at evening time to draw water. Noontime wasn't time to draw water. But this lady had so much baggage and so much stuff in her life that she said, I'm going to slip to the well and get water when nobody is there to condemn me, when nobody's there to run me down, when nobody's there to make fun of me and talk about me and who I am and what I'm about. But she didn't realize <laughs> that sitting on that well at high noon was a man that she never had met, and she did not know who he was. And when she walked up to that well, he said, give me to drink. And she said, how is it that you, a Jew, asked me, a Samaritan, to give you water? And Jesus found an opening. And he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that said unto you, give me a drink, you would ask of him and he would give you living water. And when you drink that living water, you would never thirst again. Hallelujah. She was a woman who worshiped the God of the mountain. She was bound by family problems and blinded by family traditions. There's a little cartoon I read not long ago. It's about a little boy who was kneeling by his bed saying his prayers. And he prayed, as you know, God, Monday is the first day of school. I hope you won't lose sight of me in the crowd. Amen. He climbs into the bed, thanks for a minute, then he crawls out again and adds to his prayer, oh, by the way, God, I'll be the one wearing the red shorts and the Dallas Cowboy t-shirt. This little boy wanted somebody to recognize him. And the woman in Scripture today needed someone to see her. She had lost sight of her life, and she was thirsty beyond measure. Yet she was a worshiper of what she knew not. He knew she did not know him because in verse 9 she called him a Jew. How is it you being a Jew? Ask me. But in verse 11 she said, sir. She called him sir. He is moving up in the rank and file. In verse 19 she called him a prophet. But in verse 25 she called him the Messias. She called him the Christ. I believe that people who come to worship God will meet a Savior sitting on a well where there is no shadows cast, where there's no tent, 
where there's no dogmas, where there's no prejudice. And he will give you the desire of your heart at the well of blessing. Amen. I believe that. She was the first person that he met that didn't see him as a political figure. She didn't see him as Joseph's son. She didn't see him as a carpenter. She didn't see him as a Nazareth man. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? She saw him as the Christ. And tonight, on this Wednesday night, I want us to just stop and take a little time and to see him not as just a man, not as just somebody with a certain lineage, but I want to see him as the Christ. That means the anointed one. And when you see him as the anointed one, even though you've been sitting in your home for over two weeks now, and this is our fourth service to come to you, a Wednesday, a Sunday, a Wednesday, and a Sunday, and now a Wednesday, we are telling you that God is so anointed and so precious to you, he wants to come and sit down in your house, on a well in your house, that well of worship, and he wants to minister to you, and he wants to give you something that you won't ever get anyplace else because he is the Savior that can give you what you have need of. The Bible said she left her water pot. Here's what she said in verse 15. She realized who he was, and she made this statement, give me that water. Give me that water. I was standing over here while the praise and worship team was singing, and I was making that statement, God, give me that water. I need that water. I'm getting stir-crazy in my house. I need that water. I'm tired of this coronavirus. Give me that water. I'm tired of all the pulls in our life and not being able to go to the house of God with the saints of God. Give me that water. I need a drink of that water. And if you'll ask him, he'll give you the water that you need in your life. She left her water pot and she went to the city and brought the whole city back to Jesus. That's a beautiful story. We'll come back to it after a while. Now I want to go now to another story. I'm going to intertwine these. I want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 3. And it speaks of David. And the king said, this is David, is there not yet any of the house of Saul? This is the king now. He's, he's king. That I may show kindness of God unto him. And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan has a son which is lame on his feet. Jonathan has a son which is lame on his feet. Now we all know that if you know scripture at all that David and Jonathan were very close. They were like brothers. They had a love for one another that exceeded a lot of things. And David was the second king of Israel. He was anointed three times. Jonathan now was gone. His father Saul was gone. They had lost their life at the battle of Gilboa. And David was anointed three times to be king of Israel. Once at the home of his father Jesse's house. All the brothers were lined up when Samuel came and Samuel said, we're looking for the king. God sent me to this house. And so they all lined up and Samuel passed by them and he said, hmm, don't see one here. And he goes back over them the second time and he said, I don't see one yet. 
And he looks at Jesse and he says, is there anybody else? And Jesse said, yeah, there's a, there's a boy out, a kid out in the pasture that's watching the sheep. And Samuel said, would you go get him and bring him in? And when he saw him, Samuel said, this is the king. And God said, don't look on the outward appearance, but look on the heart. And Samuel did. He saw a heart of a young man that was going to be crowned king. And so Samuel anointed him king. His first anointing was in his house, his father's house, Jesse. The second anointing was at Hebron as king of Judah. Judah was the southern part of Israel. And then the third anointing came. He became the king of all of Israel. Now, everybody say the anointing of his father the anointing of Judah, and the anointing of Israel. I want to preach about three anointings here tonight that I think must baptize everyone in the church. The first anointing that David had was a private anointing. It was in his house. Wow, in his house. It wasn't among a bunch of people. It was just in his house. Everyone must have a private anointing in your life. If all church is, is when you show up to church and when you praise him with other people, then you're not getting what you need out of this experience with Almighty God. You need a private anointing. What do you do when no one else is around? Do you still sing songs and hymns? Do you still say, bless the Lord, oh my soul? Do you still praise him with all your heart? When nobody's there, how do you live in Egypt as an Israelite? How do you take on Potiphar's wife, Joseph, when it's just you and her? How do you live by yourself? I'll tell you how you do. You need a private anointing in your life. You need an anointing that says, no matter what happens in my life, no matter how lonely I get, I do have an anointing of Jesus on my soul, and I'm going to do right when I'm by myself. Wow. Man, I could almost preach that. And then the second anointing he had was a praise anointing. Say it with me at your home, a praise anointing. David's second anointing was becoming king of Judah. Wow. Judah means praise. Hmm. If you're going to get an anointing in your life that matters, you have to understand that you will praise the Lord at all times. You will bless the Lord at all times and his praise will continually be in your mouth. Jesus said, we must be worshipers because God loves worshipers. Hear me, praise is giving God adulation for what he's done. Worship is praising him for what he is in your life. And you need a praise anointing in your life. You need to wake up. I've taught my kids this their whole life. You need to wake up in the morning. And the first thing you do before you get some Folgers in your cup is lift up your hands and get an anointing of God with your praise, getting it going in the morning. There is nothing greater than praising God when you rise up in the morning, praising God in the middle of your day, and praising God before you go to bed at night. David said seven times a day, I will praise him. I will love him. And if a king of an Old Testament can praise him seven times, we with the baptism of the Spirit in our life should be praising God all day long. We need an anointing of praise in our life. We need Judah in our life. And then the third, the third anointing was the dominion anointing. David was 
anointed the third time as king over all of Israel. And God gave David all Israel to rule. See, anointing comes to you as God trusts you with your private anointing, with your praise anointing, and then your dominion anointing. Woo, hallelujah. Now watch this. After the third anointing, David did three things. Number one, he got the Ark of the Covenant back. It had been gone for 40 years, and Saul, the first king who ruled 40 years, did not want the Ark of the Covenant back. He didn't care about it. He didn't care about God's presence. But David said, I want to restore the glory in the house of the Lord. I want God's glory to come back to Israel. The Ark of the Covenant represented the glory of God. The second thing he did was ask permission to build the house of the Lord. He said, I want to build you a house, Lord. I want a place to put the ark. And God said, David, I can't let you build the house because you've had too much bloodshed in your life. You're a warrior. But I will let your son and I will let you prepare the instruments and prepare the, the vessels of the house of God and prepare the wood and prepare the stone. I'll let that happen to you. But David, your son will build it. And then he asked this. And this is what I'm going to preach tonight. He asked for someone that he could show kindness to. He asked for someone that he could show favor to. He said, is there any in the house of Saul? Saul was his arch enemy. It was the house of his enemy. He didn't say Jonathan, who was his best friend, Saul's son. He said, is there any of the house of Saul? See, it's easy to show kindness to a friend's house. It's tough to show kindness to an enemy's house. And Ziba said, Jonathan, his son, has a son in Lodabar at Makar's house. Now, I may have mispronounced those, but that's how I've been pronounced them all my ministry. So if you've got a better pronunciation, preach it your way. And when David heard that Jonathan had a son who was in Makar, or at Lodabar in Makar's house, David said these words, go fetch him. In other words, in my vernacular, he said, go arrest him. Go get him. Don't let him be a decision maker. Go grab him and bring him to me. He thinks that I'm going to take him out. But what he don't know is I'm going to take him higher than he's ever been in his life. So go arrest him and bring him here. There is a must-have in David's voice. I want Mephibosheth to come to my house. Go get him. And so they go to Lodabar, a dry place, and they pick up Mephibosheth, and they bring him to David's palace. And when, he, when they bring him in, of course, he's lame on both his legs. He's a lame prince. That's another story. He got, he got hurt real bad when his father and his grandfather were destroyed at Mount Gilboa. A nurse dropped him and crippled his legs for the rest of his life. And he falls down on his face and he reverences David. And David does three things. Now, I want to preach this to you. And I want you to understand the grace of God. This is the Jesus principle. David, first of all, gives the young man his name back. The man says, I am just a dog. Mephibosheth said, I'm a dog. I do not belong here. He knew that, the, that the, the, the king that followed the former king was probably going to take out all the family of the former king. And so he knew I'm about to die. But David said, no, 
you're not a dog here, son. Your name is Mephibosheth. I'm going to call you by your princely name. Your name is Mephibosheth. Let me tell you what God wants to do to everybody in Austin, Texas. He wants to draw you into his presence and tell you you're not who you think you are. You're not the person that you think you are. You're not, as, you're not as bad on God's list as you think you are in this world. God can straighten your life out. He can turn your life around. And he can give you a name. Hallelujah. He can bless you with a power and with a presence that only he can give and lift you up from a dog mentality to a name of a prince. Again, God can do that in your life. And then the Bible said, and the second thing he did, he restored to him his land and his inheritance. He restored to him. He said, give him everything. He told Ziba, give him everything that he ever had. And bless him. Give him all this money. Give everything that he ever had. Wow, what a man. What a king. I don't care if he's lame. Give him everything that he ever possessed. Give him everything he's supposed to have. I'm not Saul and I'm not Jonathan, but I want to show kindness to somebody from my enemy's house. And the third thing, he said, Mephibosheth, you can sit at my table continually. Wow. You can sit at my table continually. Now, the Bible said in Acts chapter 13 that David was a man after God's own heart. And some say that David was called that because he was a praiser. And I'm going to say that's wrong. That's a big no. You had to get an X on my final exam if you said that. Some people say it was his ability to repent when he had problems in the 11th chapter with an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. But I would have to say no again. Because God doesn't have to do either one of those. And he's a man after God's own heart. But David won the Lord's heart in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel when he forgave a son of Saul his enemy's house. When he forgave that young man and said, you're not a dog, you have a name, you're a prince. All the stuff that you used to have is going to come back to you and you can sit at my table continually. Isn't that just like the Lord? Now go back to John chapter 4, a woman comes, been married five times. The man she's living with is not her husband. She comes at high noon because she's so embarrassed of her past. But Jesus said there's no shadows cast. There's no bias. There's no prejudice. I'm going to give you water to drink that you'll never thirst again. And in 10 verses, she said, give me this water. The Jesus principle is taking people that cannot believe that this God is still this awesome and this mighty and this powerful and letting them understand that he can lift you up from crippled legs. He can give you a drink of water that you'll never thirst again. He can restore you to the original position that he meant for you to be before the fall of Adam and Eve. And he can say to you, you can sit at my table continually. I'm going to be your king for the rest of your life. That's what I'm talking about tonight. I'm telling you, that's the Jesus principle. You know, here's a neat look and a little neat hook. I never read in the Bible where the lame prince Mephibosheth ever got his healing. 
I never read that. It's not in there. You know why? Because he never did get healed. I never read where he learned to walk right. I never read where he ever improved on the situation of his feet and his ankles and his legs. He never got any better. But I did read that he ate continually at the king's table. He didn't look good on the outside like Absalom did who was handsome or like Solomon did who was brilliant or like Tamar did who was beautiful. They were all king's kids. But every one of them had stuff messed up in their life. Their stuff was internal. His was external. Beautiful but with problems of their own. But Mephibosheth's problems were on the outside. Yet, yet he was welcome. And he never never had to leave the table. God must have said to David that day that he did all of that, hey son, I know how you feel and I'm going to write about you one day. You're a man after my own heart because I delivered two and a half million Israelites from Egypt and I knew the first day that they came out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea that they would not go into promise. They would never make it. However, I never stopped feeding them. I never stopped giving them water from a rock. That rock followed them. I never stopped clothing them. I never allowed their shoes to wear out. They were iron shoes. And I was a cloud by day to them, and I was a pillar of fire by night to them. And when their enemies pressed on them in the wilderness, I defeated their enemies. And I blessed them in every way, and yet... They never came in to promise. And you've got a boy in your kingdom that's lame on both legs. And he's from the enemy's house. He'll probably never walk. And you're still showing him kindness. Can I declare to this congregation tonight when we come back to church after all this is gone and bypassed and moved on that when we walk in this place we must open doors to women at the well. The Mephibosheths, the lame princes must have a seat at our table. And the starters that came out of Egypt that are having trouble finishing and going into the land of promise must never be shut out. They must have a place at the table. They must have a place to come. This is a hospital. This church is not a courtroom. And I'm going to read you four words or speak to you four words that I'm going to shout to the top of my voice and I've preached it my whole life and every staff pastor that ever went through this church and is pastoring today, all 27, 28 of them, I always told them, church is a chance. Church is a chance. It may not always happen the way we want it to happen, but the next time we come to church, church is still a chance. And the next Sunday that we meet, church is still a chance. And the next Wednesday we gather, church is still a chance. 
And who knows that maybe one day a woman of Sychar will walk to the well and say, my life is forever changed. Give me that water. And who knows when a young man will cripple in this house and get his ankles healed and his presence touched by the touch of the Holy Ghost and say, I will never be the same again. Pastor, pastor, what are you preaching about? I'm preaching that this church is not a normal place. This church is a place where Jesus will meet you with no bias and no prejudice. And this is a place where the King of Kings will look at your crippleness and say, hey, you got a place here. I remember a man used to sit up in the balcony and for 10 years he was there and he was the one that caused me to preach this sermon years ago. His name was Eddie and after 10 years of sitting up there, he decided one Sunday to come down and I've told this story before and I'll finish with this tonight. I'm going to I'm going to try to wrap this up. But he came down one Sunday and said, I want that water, Pastor. I want, my, I want Jesus in my life. And Jesus came into his life and I baptized him. And he left this world not long after that, but he was saved. He was saved by the grace of God. Can I tell you something? In this house, Mephibosheth still count. Lame people still count. In this house, Women at the well that's had five husbands and living with a man that's not their husband and living in such a shameful life, they still count. In this house, one blind man in John 9 still counts. In this house, one man who's been crippled for 38 years in John 5 still counts. In this house, one leper still counts that comes back and says, thank you, Lord, for healing me and touching my life. In this house, Mephibosheth still counts. In this house, the woman at the well still matters. And in this house, whatever the population of Austin is, two million, all the area, about two million, two and a half million perhaps, you all still matter. Everybody matters. Because that's what the church is about. And on this Wednesday night, on this Wednesday night, I want to say something to you. CLA still has a place at the table for you. We have a place here. And you can come and put your crippled legs under it. You can come and put your crippled heart at it. And you can come and sit here. And there's some water for you that you'll never thirst again. And I'm going to put these words on the board here. It simply says, I love you. Whoever's watching here tonight, I love you. I love you. I'm like the little boy <clears throat> that was in the orphanage and a man, a country music singer, sang a song about him. He wrote on a paper, whoever finds this, I love you. And he put that paper against the window and somebody saw it one day and came and took that little boy away and adopted him and gave him a home. And some of you are looking for somebody to love you. Some of you are looking for somebody to care about you. Somebody are looking for you, for somebody that says, you know what, you matter. And I'm declaring to you today, on this Wednesday night, you matter to this pastor and you matter to this church because there is a Jesus principle at work here. He will come to where you are and he'll meet you at your need. Would you bow your head in your home tonight? Just bow your head. Just bow your head. 
I pastored a man and his family for eight and a half years who carried a guilt complex because he'd been in prison for 17 years. Not in prison, perhaps, for the crime that he committed, but he broke his curfew several times for this heinous crime that he committed. And in those eight and a half years, I loved him. We fed him, literally and spiritually. We cared for him. And it was during his time here in Austin at this church that this church flourished because we learned a principle. We learned a principle that Jesus will meet you at the well with no bias and no judgment and not hurling any accusations at you. Just saying, I got some water for you. And the King of Kings will anoint a pastor to love you where you are so that God can take you where he wants you to go. I'm so happy that an evangelist came through West Texas years ago when I was just a kid. I was just a nine-year-old kid. And he made me believe. He made me believe that Jesus truly loved me. Truly did. He truly loved me. And I went down to the altar and I gave my heart to the Lord and was filled with his precious spirit. Because I discovered it wasn't the power. It was the thirst for and the longing for somebody that truly loved me. That truly loved me. Dear Father, I bless this people tonight. I bless them. And God, if there's somebody that's in the balance and they don't feel worthy and they feel broken, they feel crippled, they feel hurt, they've been offended, Somebody has lied on them. Somebody has told things about them that has shaded their character and caused them to not want church. Maybe a pastor has said, you know what? You're just not going to make it. Can I talk to them in their home right now and tell them, you can't have this water. And wherever you are, why don't you lift your hands and say, give me this water. Give it to me. I want the water that will cause me to never thirst again. I want to be lifted from my mentality of thinking that I don't belong to a mentality that says I can sit at the table. I can come and sit at the table of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I belong. I belong. Bless our congregation. Bless our septuagenarians, our octogenarians. Bless all those precious people. Take care of us now, Lord. And thank you for letting me preach the gospel tonight to not only our church, but people that are tuning in and let them know that there is a place, there is a place where they're not just a number, they are a name and they matter and they matter.
And everybody said in Jesus' name. And you know what? I've gone a little over tonight, but it's purposeful. There's no apologies. Because Jesus wanted to minister to you. The praise and worship team did. And God said minister to people tonight because they're hurting. Because they don't understand perhaps some of the things that's going on in our world. But you hold on. God's got this. And I love you. And I truly love you. And I want you to know it. God bless. We'll see you on Sunday. God bless you.